The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. New York Times columnist David Brooks, he wrote about listening to the rebroadcast of an episode of an old show from World War II on the radio called Command Performance. And this episode of Command Performance was the one that was aired the day World War II ended. Well, this was a variety show that had all sorts of the, the stars of the day, and, and Brooks was amazed as he listened to the tone of the host, Bing Crosby, and so many others, Jimmy Durante, Dinah Shore, Marlene Dietrich, Betty Davis, Lionel Barrymore. On VJ Day, these and many others spoke about self-effacement on the eve of great triumph. The Allies had, on that very day, completed one of the noblest military victories in the history of humanity. And yet there was no chest beating, nobody was erecting any triumphal arches. All anybody can do is thank God it's over, Brooks relays that Bing Crosby said. Today our deep down feeling is one of humility, he added. Burgess Meredith, and if some of you don't get these names, the only one I recognize is that guy from Rocky. Uh, Burgess Meredith came out to read a passage from Ernie Pyle, the famous war correspondent. Pyle had been killed just a few months before, but he'd written an article anticipating what a victory would mean. Pyle wrote, we won this war because our men are brave and because of many things, because of our allies and the passage of time and the gift of nature's material wealth. We did not win it because destiny created us better than all other people. I hope that in victory we are more grateful than we are proud. So Brooks goes on to say that that same day he headed home and he turned on the football game and um, the quarterback uh, took the snap uh, in one play and threw the pass to a wide receiver who advanced a couple yards and was tackled for a two-yard gain. And like any pro athlete at that point, the defensive back who made the tackle got up and uh, performed a celebratory dance in honor of himself. Brooks says then that he realized at that moment that he had seen a bigger victory dance after a two-yard gain than he had heard after winning World War II. 
Brooks suggests that in just a few generations, we've seen a shift from a culture of self-effacement where people's general perspective is, I'm no better than anyone else, but nobody's better than me, to one of self-advancement where people say, you know, I'm pretty great. This morning's, sorry, you're getting me the second time. This afternoon's gospel reading reminds us that nothing new is under the sun. The Lord Jesus tells a parable um, immediately after referencing if when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And then he speaks these words again because there are those there amongst him who, who do not have a humble heart. He says, that there is two who go up the hill to pray. One, a religious person. This would have been the stand-in. Everybody would have known that the Pharisee was the one who is holy, the one who would have had things together. And the other figure is another reliable stand-in. It's the tax collector, a sinner. And so, as specific as it starts, it wraps us up by the end. The Lord's words are this sweeping inclusion of of, of way back when all the way to our own time, he says, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. I think this afternoon we would do well to examine our hearts and to ask, how do we approach the Almighty? At Church of the Vine, where I serve as rector for the months of October, we've been asking parishioners for each of the Sundays uh, in October to write a letter to someone from their past, someone in their life now, who has, in a saintly way, handed the faith down to them. We've called it Ordinary Saints. And as these letters have been read aloud as part of our morning's worship, We've come to discover all the ways God's people have passed along the riches of the faith. And we've heard so many amazing testimonies and so many stories about, you know, the person in the back that you kind of see occasionally, like how God brought them to his kingdom. It's, it's been a ball. Um, and I think with today's gospel reading, the thing I'm struck by, and this has been my frame, is how central humility is to the construction of the people of God and how your life together is so essential. It's so essentially based on our approach in humility to the throne of the Lord. In Luke 18, Jesus notes that these two characters, the Pharisee and the tax collector, they approached God in very different ways. Did you notice? Both went up to pray. This doesn't mean that they all headed to the same, from the same direction. Uh, the Temple Mount at the top of Jerusalem. Everybody was heading uphill. There's probably a good chance they were actually headed from very different parts of town. They were probably on their way to the temple. But there's two kind of, there's a spatial difference between their approach to prayer the self-exalted Pharisee, it says, was standing by himself, while the humble tax collector was standing far off and would not even look up to heaven. You should pay close attention to this. 
There's two things happening. Both of these men are approaching God. But as they do, we see that there's also the question of their proximity to others. And it overflows, really. I don't think that we can approach the Almighty without that approach impacting the people nearest to us. The Pharisee, as we hear, has a really special relationship with God. And he names all of these special qualities that he possesses. This special status before God correlates directly to the proximity, or in this case, the lack thereof, of others. The Pharisee in the parable, it says, is standing by himself. But as we ponder the lives of God's people who help us find his grace, when we ponder how they stand, it is probably essentially more than anything else is that they are amidst us, is that they are near us. They don't stand off on their own. They come among us, much like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He comes into our mess. The one who did not see godliness as something to be held on to, but took on the very nature of a servant. And come, he came and took on flesh, humbling himself even to the point of a cross. One of the uh, phrases that stood out to me this very morning at Church of the Vine is, this letter to an ordinary saint was written. It was, it was written from a young woman who uh, had finished her time in divinity school, but who had had a rough go because of a series of head injuries. She had had a really debilitating string of concussions. And she was writing this letter of remembrance and thanksgiving to a woman who, while she was there in school, amidst a overwhelmingly competitive environment was near her in the most mundane ways. But the difference that this made in this young woman's life, she, she wrote, in an environment where time is too precious to give up, you willingly gave it to me by spending hours at doctor's offices, making me meals, sitting in the literal dark with me. Uh, we're to wonder if one of the reasons that the self-exalted Pharisee cannot bring himself into the proximity of others is that he might just get bogged down in all of the mess of this person's life and it might impede all of the really important things that he has planned. But what if we ponder the way our Lord gave himself in his years, in his months, in his weeks, in his days. Stop and consider, according to the, the world's logic, all of the really messy and unimportant people the Lord gave himself to. The way he was present to people in situations that, that didn't look very productive. They didn't look glorious or grand. But he gave himself to them. 
I mean, consider how the Lord was probably the only one who could say, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. But instead, the Lord prays a different prayer. He suffers not only with us, but he takes on suffering on our behalf. The words he says are, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. As we've walked this journey at Church of the Vine about pondering the qualities of saintliness, pondering the gifts God's people give each other. Um, one of the dangers we've had is in elevating a list of to-dos for God's people. But this morning, this evening, this afternoon, you know what I'm saying. It's like that automatic refrain in a preacher's voice. This morning... We're reminded that more than anything, the ones whom God is at work in, they're humbly among us. And that's the story of how the Lord points to this publican, this tax collector. He's humble in that he is familiar with the sin that is in his life. And because he's caught just a glimmer of God's mercy, he's the most aware of the distance of his own condition to that beauty that has so captivated him. Because it's not that the Lord is approving this tax collector for being a sinner. It's that knowing his condition, he processes to go and meet the Lord and receive mercy. The saints among us are humble but they're among us. They're near. And they don't keep all of that longing for themselves or they don't keep it shadowed. It's actually the good news because they know where to turn for that which they cannot create for themselves. And this is, again, what we shouldn't miss about the tax collector and his humility. He is seeking what only the Lord can give. Mercy and redemption. And I wonder if we hear today the call to humility. Is there a longing in us for only what God can give? St. Augustine, he preached this text, and I love what he had to say, and so I, I want to pass it along, he says, how useful and necessary a medicine is repentance. People who remember that they are only human will readily understand this. It is written, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The Pharisee was not rejoicing so much in his own clean bell of health as in comparing it with the diseases of others. He came to the doctor. It would have been more worthwhile to inform him by confession of the things that were wrong with himself. Instead of keeping his wounds secret and having the nerve to crow over the scars of others, it is not surprising that the tax collector went away cured since he had not been ashamed of showing where he felt pain. There's a toxic root that motivates the Pharisee. And it's revealed in the different ways in which these two figures address 
God, while the tax collector's prayer opens the door of his heart for that which God will pour in. And I'm convinced these days that it's a surprise when God's grace meets us. Because unlike the Pharisee who lays out all the ways in which he's ordered his world to to strategically advance what he needs to do and all the ways that he looks great, um, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't ask God for anything. Because he's so busy keeping those hounds at bay, keeping that pain pushed down. He's so busy reinforcing that that he misses out. There's such tragedy. He misses out on the surprising generosity that the Lord might pour out. But there's so much risk in this. There's so much risk to not fill all that void in us with all of our self-congratulation. But this is the risk the Lord invites us into. And it's so sad, but the Pharisee asks nothing. But the tax collector opens the door of his heart for that which the Lord will do. It reminded me of a story I I just heard. and There was this young man, he was in a final qualifying shoot to make it onto the Canadian Olympic team. He was a a distance uh, marksman, and he had really done quite well in this qualifying tournament, and he was getting ready for the last shot, and all he had to do was hit the target. I mean, just kind of get it anywhere on the target, and he would have advanced to the Canadian Olympic team. And he sets his sights, and he breathes in, And as he breathes out, as he's been trained, he pulls the trigger and he hits the target right in the center. And he stands up, congratulatory, with arms raised to the sky, but everyone around him is dead quiet. See, he'd hit the bullseye on the wrong target. And this is really the picture we have of the Pharisee who stood up and he's hit it right down the center, but he's hit the target that is completely It's completely futile as we come to the great mystery of God's providence and goodness in our life. Let us this day remember that our target is the humble approach of our abundantly generous God. This is what we're aiming for. We, praying these words later, we do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. We heard it read in Joel in our Old Testament reading. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved.